Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the friendly confines of Cheyenne, Wyoming. I am Aaron. I'm Ethan. And, I'm Tracy. And we've got a special guest tonight with Tracy Ringlesby. He is a uh, phenomenal writer, a longtime uh, pre- and post-game host for the Colorado Rockies, a one-time president of the Western Stock Show, and they're in Denver, Colorado, and he is now owner of Welcome to 7220, and Inside the Seams, a great website with some fantastic product. Mr. Ringlesby, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Well, I'm glad to be here. It's, it's an honor to have you along, and, and uh, if you don't mind, we're just going to you know, try and keep it nice and short for you tonight and let you get back to work. And uh, just jump right into those few questions. How does that sound? Sounds good. All right. So uh, we've got um, a Post 6 product, Post 6 Legion Baseball product, Brandon Nimmo. He's out there in New York. And uh, I know you're probably well aware of, of how proud Cheyenne is and the Legion program is of all of his accomplishments. Um, as, as somebody who's inside baseball, how does that translate for for you personally? Is it exciting to see that? And then how does that um, translate for baseball success here in the state of Wyoming and the city of Cheyenne? Well, I mean, I, I mean, me personally, it's it's exciting because he's such a good kid on top of being a baseball player. I mean, he's one of the nicer young kids you're ever going to meet. And, you know, I know that the Mets writers that first the first two years he was up, they kept coming up and saying, like, is this guy for real? Is this a pony? Is this pony or is this, is, can this be this way? You know, that's, that's the way he is. He's as good a person as he is a baseball player. Um, it's pretty unique, you know, to say that because let's face it, Wyoming, we have a little over 500,000 people. Right. So the, the pickings are slim. Uh, you don't have a lot of kids on travel teams because of the proximity to where travel teams might be based. And so they don't necessarily get the same amount of exposure. I think post 10, the post in Cheyenne, post six does a really good job with its schedule. They play over 70 games, I think, and they go down to Arizona. And if I remember right in the springtime for a bunch, you know, a bunch of games during spring break, but let's, let's just face it. It's, it's a small group of people or a small group of candidates to look at, you know, other than, uh, I think there's only been like five or six kids actually out of Wyoming at the time they got uh, signed or drafted. And probably the biggest splash was when uh, two kids out of Casper, uh, Mike Devereaux, who happened to be at Arizona State at the time, right. and, and and Mike Lansing um, both got signed. But it's you know it's been few and far between. Um, 
you know, Devereaux, Devereaux got to, was playing on a pretty good team at Arizona State with, with uh, Bonds and a few other guys. And, in fact, when, uh, when Bonds was kicked off the team, uh, the coach had a rule that your, player, your teammates had to vote you back on. Oh, wow. And the way the, the, way the story goes, the coach reinstated him for the, uh, for the postseason tournament even though the vote was 24 to one against reinstating him. Wow. And uh, it turned out Devereaux was the one who, uh, who voted for him to be back. And, and he, uh, he got teased a little bit and he said, look, I'm the, I'm the fourth outfielder. I thought if I was the only guy that voted to keep him out, it might look like I was just trying to uh, protect my <laughs> opportunity to play. You know, <laughs> That's fantastic. That is fantastic. And, and yeah, Brandon is one of those guys that is very generous with his time. And uh, uh, we went down to South Carolina several years ago uh, uh, for a follow-up for me um, for uh, cancer treatment. And we went up to um, his minor league squad team there. Uh, he was playing in Savannah. Yeah, so when he was in Savannah. And we waited for about 15, 20 minutes after the game, but then he spent another 30 minutes just talking to Ethan. It was longer than that, dude. It had to Was be. it? There's no way it was only 30 minutes. It had to have been at least 45 to an hour. Yeah. So Just standing outside the locker room door. Yeah. Well, he's come back to Shannon a couple of times. I know I've seen on TV where he's gone to the grade schools at Christmas time. You know, right. Before. And uh, and spent time, you know, meeting with those kids and talking to them. I mean, he, I asked him once about living in New York City, and he said, "Well, he and his wife didn't have any kids yet and wanted to experience it, but <laughs> when they started to have a family, they he'd like to come back to Cheyenne." That's that's awesome, and yeah, and just I can't say I blame him for that. <laughs> I came back. <laughs> you did. You did. You've been you've been a couple places too, um, which is great, and we'll touch on that here in a little bit. Uh, so we're going to hop over to the majors um, here out west in Denver, and the Rockies bullpen there for the first oh I don't know two three weeks looked uh, pretty brutal, um, as if they hadn't played for the entire spring training portion of the season. Uh, is there any help on the way for the Rockies bullpen? I know they've got a couple prospects and Ryan Rollison and Tommy Doyle that might be projected to hit this year. Um, but I mean, what, yeah, what does that look like? But I think if either one of them hit, it would not be as relief pitchers. I think Rollison, okay. Rollison is, is considered either first or second best prospect in the system. But he's definitely a starting pitcher. Okay. And there was some debate. Uh, there were four or five guys they were looking at starting the other night when they had the uh, the day night or they had the doubleheader for a makeup right. game, and right. Rollison was one of the guys. He's not on the big league roster though, so I think the decision was made to uh, that had to weigh into the decision. Let's put it that way on him That's not right. being called up, just because they didn't want to waste that waste his potential options if uh, if it was just going to be for a game or so, and also to protect whoever else they had on the roster instead of having right. to take and subject them to waivers. That's and they fair. won that game, so it worked out okay. <laughs> I guess when you win, it works out pretty well then, doesn't it? Sure. That's fantastic. Um, Ethan, you want to take the next one with the rules? 
Yeah, uh, so we're going to move to AAA, and uh, they're supposedly going to be testing out new bases, um, and they're moving the pitching mound back, and they're also uh, cutting out the defensive shifts and the DH. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, I I kind of feel like the DH has been around long enough, and, and you either need to get rid of it from the game or you need to put it in both leagues, particularly yes. when you're having interleague play your roster set up totally different, whether you have a DH or you don't have a DH, you know, what your needs are in that. And, and I think it's, it's been silly that they have played this long without um, going ahead and deciding whether the DH is going to be part of the game or not. I mean, there's only two leagues in the world at the professional level that don't have a DH. One of them is in Japan and the other is uh, nationally over here. So it, it seems to be the way, um, you know, some of the others I think are just silly. I think you just you have a commissioner that's trying to draw attention to himself. I find it interesting. They want to move the mound back a foot, and it may not affect a fastball, but you can't tell me that it's not going to really mess up a lot of veteran pitchers when it oh, comes yeah. to throwing a slider or oh. a curveball. It's, it's yeah. going to be miserable. And, you know, they want to do it because they want to create more opportunities for hitters. Well, Maybe if hitters didn't get so caught up in all these funky um, swings to try to hit home runs yes. every time they go up to the plate, they would be better hitters. And they might find out they're going to hit home runs too because you, know, you don't have to swing hard to hit a home run. You have to hit it properly. And so right. I, I, I think that's that's another look at me. I'm doing things for baseball. You know, it's almost as stupid as the uh, starting out the 10th inning with a with a pitcher with a runner yeah, on second runner base. On second, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're supposed to be better conditioned athletes now, aren't you? And I mean, I, I, mean, I remember sitting through a 22 inning game the Rockies played with San Diego, and I guess I guess the way I look at it is, you know, I used to I told a, an announcer once in one of the cities I was in, he was complaining about announcing an extra inning game, and I said, you know, maybe you're bored because you're getting paid to be there, but if I have a night off and I'm home watching the game, I don't need you to tell I don't need need you to tell me I should be bored. I think it's kind of exciting knowing a game could hit at any time. But, I mean, oh, yeah. if, if they want to shorten it up because they're trying to protect pitchers who obviously aren't as quality of athletes as the ones that were there for a hundred years, if they're trying to do that, then I think they should just say at the end of 12 innings, it's a tie. And it goes into the book as a, as a tie. And if you finish a half game out of place because you have a tie and the other team doesn't, that's your fault. You play just as many games. You have the same number of opportunities. I would rather see that than have the, the rules and the statistics bastardized just so somebody can say that they came up with this new famous thing. So I, I don't like that very much. Um, you know, defensive placement in the shifts, guys got to just have to learn how to hit. I mean, if the whole left That's side cool. of your infield is open, you, you take advantage of hitting the ball to the left side of the infield. I mean, why we have to do things to make things easier for people who are too lazy to make adjustments to play, I really don't understand. And, you know, the mound, you can't convince me that you're not going to have more. You already have more arm injuries. And when I started covering baseball in 1976, you had two disabled lists. You could put two players on the 15 day and you could put one player on the 21 day. And that one player, a pitcher could only go on the 21 day. There weren't any of these phantom um, injury lists. And, you know, the game did pretty well. And guys, like, right. somehow managed to stay healthy. So I, I don't know why we feed these things in. I mean, we they set it up so the Dodgers cheated like crazy when they went to the 10-day 
injury list and the Dodgers would take a pitcher that they were going to have an off day in the middle. And so they weren't going to need that pitcher. So they'd put him on the 10 day injury list. Wasn't hurt, had no injuries. They just wanted to open something else up on their, on their roster. So I don't know, maybe I'm too old, maybe I'm too traditional, but I actually remember when pitchers could pitch nine innings, you know, Uh, I I remember when pitchers could pitch 11 and 12 innings a la Nolan Ryan. Well, I had had six years. I had three, I had seven years with Nolan. So. That's fantastic. Yeah. He he was a workhorse. I wish I could have had that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know, and, and I do remember those 21-day DL things. And, man, sometimes you're looking like, when can this guy get back, please? Didn't matter what team it was. Yeah. And, and he would do everything he could to get back. And now you have guys breaking their fingers, playing video games, and going on the injured list. And that just, to me, it really – why are you so intense playing a video game? You know. Well, like my question too is, and it goes back to the original lowering of the mound. What's wrong with a one to nothing game? Exactly. <laughs> kind of nice, you know. And uh, I love seeing those games. Yeah, and I remember one time Rick Honeycutt, who who I had as a player when I was in Seattle, he he was a pitching coach for the Dodgers, and we were talking and. Nolan got brought up and he said, uh, you know, I used to love to go into wherever Nolan was the pitcher on the home team because the mound was so steep. And so next time Nolan called, we were talking, I said, uh, told him what Honey had said. He says, well, tell Honey that he came too late. He should have been there when you had a 15 inch mound. And he said, he said, that's why there weren't arm injuries, because with a 15 inch mound, by the time you release the ball, all the impact was in, in your lower body. It wasn't in your upper body. And so you didn't have the arm injuries because of that. But because Bob Gibson had such a great year in 1968, they had to had to raise them or lower the mound to give the hitters another advantage. Well, learn to hit. Now, Babe right. Ruth, they had a high mound when Babe Ruth played. He still did a pretty good job, you know. So it's I, – I just, I guess it bothers me that they look for excuses to um, – make for players who don't perform at the proper level and so they want to penalize the game for it you know or you know the other thing is they've expanded a lot so they've added a lot of jobs you know they had 25 players on 16 teams now they have 26 players on 30 teams so you know figure that out okay and, and the other thing is they are losing players now to other sports you know until until really probably the late to mid 70s the probably the mid to early 70s they didn't lose players to basketball. They didn't lose players mm-hmm. to football. But now I think the athlete realizes that, well, one, I get to the top in the NFL or I get to the top in the NBA right away. I don't have to spend right. four or five, six years in the minor leagues. And so there's a gratification there. And there's also, I think, when they talk about guys from uh, tough areas, ghetto areas or, or, or that type of thing, it's not as hard to put up a basketball court and get a basketball as it is to try to put a baseball field together and have bats and have balls. I mean, even in football, you, you at that level, at the amateur level, you don't have to go through the equipment the way you do if you're trying to play baseball and have a chance. So I, I just think that, you know, there's enough things to turn people, kids away from, from baseball to begin with without coming up with archaic rules because you want to – you want to be commissioner and you want people to say, Oh yeah, he invented the ignorant rule that we have now. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So speaking of your longevity and and working with so many players across the years, um, 
you graduated East High here in Cheyenne, went over to the University of Wyoming. What was the turning point in your career where you're like, hey, I really want to become a broadcaster and a news writer and somebody that's working baseball? For well, I didn't, go to, I didn't go to college. You, okay, fair enough. My apologies. No, that's okay. Uh, well, when I was the day after I turned 17 on May 1st, 1968, uh, Jim Flincham was the editor of the Wyoming State Tribune, was an afternoon paper, came out six days a week. He hired me to be his one-man sports staff. And so I would uh, I would go in before I go to school in the morning and lay out the section as to whatever it was. I mean, obviously, it wasn't a huge paper, but do that. Then I'd go to school, and then in, if there were things going on after school, then I would go cover those events and, and have the stories in place so that when I went back in at 4.30 the next morning, um, but it was a break for me because I was working at a place called Frontier Taxidermist, which is still here. Yes, it and is. I kept, yeah, I kept poking holes in my fingers when I was sewing up the eyelids on the deers. <laughs> and uh, this guy I went to school with said, hey, I'm supposed to be a sports editor at Tribune next year, but I got a chance to be the male cheerleader at East High School. Would you want to, you like sports, would you want to be the sports editor at the Tribune? If, if so, I'll put a word in for you. And wow. so, you know, through that, I got to know, my my desk was right next to the United Press International office, and I got to know the uh, the bureau chief for UPI because they uh, they went half day shifts on Saturday for the Wyoming. So he always worked Saturday morning because uh, he wanted a full time shift for his other employees. He didn't want to lose a guy on a half day, except uh, Pete liked to stay out a little bit at night. So he didn't always show up on time. So I would I would take the here's phone ring, I would answer and take the weather report for him. And then I would always have the results of the high school football and basketball games for him when he came in. And, and as a result, he eventually hired me to work at United Press International in Cheyenne. Then he got to be the bureau chief in Denver. So I went to Denver with him. And then uh, one of our coworkers in Denver became the bureau chief in Kansas City. So in 1976, I went to Kansas City and that was really my first exposure to base, covering baseball because, uh, you know, we, they used to say in Kansas City back then they had two professional franchises. The Royals were number one and uh, Watson was number two. The Chiefs, did, nobody else counted there. And I got to cover the Royals um, wow. when I was with United Press International. Then, um, then I had the opportunity after a year there, uh, I, got, I was real close friends with the United Press International sports guy in Los Angeles. Long Beach paper needed someone to cover the California Angels. He recommended me. I figured I had nothing to lose. I'd been at the wire service long enough. If I didn't make a move, I probably would never get out of there. So I went to Long Beach. Wow. And that's where, that's where 1977, in fact, and that's where I got to know Nolan really well. And he uh, at one point came up to me and said, uh, hey, Tracy. I go, yeah. He goes, you know that Nash, the uh, National Finals Rodeo? I go, yeah. He goes, you know, it's moving to to uh, Vegas. I go, yeah. He goes, you know, anybody can help me get tickets. I said, well, there's a guy from Cheyenne that's going to be the executive director of it. Let me call him for you. So, needless to say, now that they send jet planes to pick him up and bring him, he doesn't stop and pick me up. <laughs> He's been up to Frontier Days with me a few times. He and his wife come up and uh, he's a big rodeo. You know, he's a rancher. And, yeah, he is. Buzzy Babesi used to get so upset because back then you didn't have to come to spring training until the first uh, of April, of March, no matter what. Right. And he never did. And, and Buzzy would get really upset. And 
he tried to explain to Buzzy that they had the cattle sale at the, for, at the uh, Houston Stock Show the last week of February, and he had to buy cattle. He couldn't afford coming. But then the day he showed up for spring training, he, he was ready to throw 100 pitches a game. You know, That's he, hilarious. He he's also a guy in 70. In 86, when he's with Houston, they wanted him to have Tommy John surgery. And he said, well, how long am I going to be out? He said, well, you'll be out. Of, you know, you'll miss next year. He goes, I'm uh, I'm 36 years old. 36 years old. I don't have time to miss next year. And so yeah. he and a guy from Nassau developed a program and he strengthened his arm. He pitched 10 more years. You know, he threw two more no hitters. He won four more strikeout titles. Um, it was, you know, he's, it was pretty, pretty amazing and good person. Um, you know, but anyhow, from Long Beach, after three years, I got offered a job for the Seattle Post Intelligencer uh, covering the Mariners. And when I looked at it, I'd had no ties being in Southern California, although I enjoyed it. Um, it was an opportunity to cover, to work for a paper that was in the city as opposed to a suburban paper, which I took as a new challenge. And so I, I spent three years there. Uh, it was enjoyable. And then I got offered a job to come to Kansas City and cover the Royals in 83, 4, and 5, which were the last three years of their 10, ten great years. And I had been in Kansas City before. I had stayed good friends with you know, George Brett had been a second-year player my year there. I had known his older brother through a mutual friend long before that and had done a lot of things with his older brother. So Hal McCray was there. Basically, the team was there. And so that my attitude at that point was um, this is a chance for me to see, again, how good I can be because we were turning to the point of saying um, this is the best team in baseball. These fans are rabid. And, wow. you know, how am I going to be able – how am I going to respond to that? And so I did. And they won the world championship in, uh, in 85. And then I got offered a job in Dallas. And at that time, the Dallas paper was nobody spent money like they did on sports. Um, our smallest sports section was 20 pages on Tuesday. Our Sunday sections would be 60 to 80 pages. I mean, we went we went everywhere and did. I mean, one year I covered 26 football games after the World Series, oh, like four and five a week at times. So it was my it was my challenge to myself of am I good enough to be able to survive in this market because it was a big time newspaper war. And so, you know, I was there six years and then uh, 92, I got a call uh, from the Rocky Mountain News and they said, you know, we're going to have baseball. They're getting a baseball team here. Would you come up and cover the year before and then be our beat writer after it happens? And so that kind of settled my roots because I was finally coming close to home. You know, we lived in Denver for about eight years and then moved back to Cheyenne and commuted. That's basically, and then paper folded. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was, in, we were ready for. I was getting ready for game one of spring training when the phone rang and they said, uh, "Don't write for today." The paper just folded, which was fine, except for when I went to check out of the hotel, they had already canceled my credit card. When I went to the oh. airport to get a to get an airplane home, they'd already canceled my credit card. When I went to check in the car, they'd already canceled the credit card. That got taken care of. It was just some guy in Cincinnati that had you know, no feel for what was going on in the world. He just was a, a bookkeeper. And so he cut everything off for the people in Denver. And that's where I got uh, started doing the TV with, with uh, right. Root Sport. And then I went to, uh, after that, I went to work 
for MLB.com for three years and then uh, retired and created my own websites. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Spend more time in Cheyenne. Yeah, definitely. Cheyenne is great. We actually, oddly enough, um, I grew up in uh, a town north of Seattle. So uh, we were we were out there uh Got out there in 1980, um, okay. and I have grown up as a Mariner fan. Ethan was actually born out there back in 98, uh, and then my wife and I said, you know what? We want a smaller town. We don't want the hustle and bustle of the Pacific Northwest, and we want to raise our family. So we moved out here in 2001, um, so kind of uh, been able to enjoy baseball and enjoy a family. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm fifth. I'm fifth generation. So, three of the uh, three of the four original families in southeastern Wyoming, the Pine Bluffs, that area. So, sure. Wow. We've been here for a while. I, I always figured, yeah, those those relatives had to be hiding from somebody because nobody would have looked for you in in southeastern Wyoming back no. in the day. <laughs> no, not at all. That is fantastic. So we're gonna kind of touch on on that career and, and is there anything along the way from you know east high school and returning to cheyenne that you'd like to have a redo on say hey i'm done let's try it again and i know i screwed up no i mean i i never you know i never had had to work i mean it's a lot easier than sewing up eye holes on the uh, pelts at the uh, at the taxidermy you know i mean my hobby became my occupation became my wife today today she's and still today she'll say why don't you just go do something and get a hobby i said well i've had a hobby my whole life this is mine we have five horses outside for your hobby i have my hobby here (laughs) that's fantastic that is fantastic e you want to grab the next one uh yeah is there anything you wish you could have done throughout your career or is there anything you still desire to do? For my career, no. I want to see the Cowboys win a conference title in the Mountain West. Yes. Get back to a That'd to a nice. big get back to a to a New Year's Day type bowl where they can uh, finish off what they had started against uh, against LSU in the Sugar Bowl back in 1998, I think it was. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, really, I, I no, I, no. My my excitement is watching uh, my grandson Scout grow up and uh, being married to my wife and the horses and my daughter Laramie. Fantastic. She was born in California. She never thought the name Laramie would come back to be a factor any place she lived. <laughs> hey, surprise, kid! <laughs> you were named after a town. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, e, go ahead and take the next one. All right. Well, uh, throughout your travels, what city has been the favorite visiting place and what has been your favorite ballpark? You know, as a homer, I mean, I really like Coors Field Um, as far as other ballparks. 
Um, I enjoyed Anaheim Stadium before the football team came and ruined it. I always thought it was one of the great the great ballparks to be around. Um, you know, I, I never had the love affair with the old worn out ballparks like Fenway and uh, and Wrigley Field that a lot of guys have. I mean, I don't blame them, but they they just don't do that much to me. Um, I think the Kingdom's pretty neat. Uh, Not the kingdom. kingdom. I mean, I think their stadium they have now is pretty neat, but okay. the kingdom was kingdom was horrible. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it was like you were walking in a dungeon, but it didn't matter because it only draws six or seven thousand people a night. So it was it wasn't like they were uh, overly worried. But you know, the the ballpark now is is really a nice ballpark. And, uh, you know, it might be a little prejudice there because I spent time there. I I went to many games at the kingdom, and uh, I have somewhat of a love affair with that that building because it was a building it wasn't a stadium at all in my opinion um but i have many horror stories as well Uh, yeah you know the angels played were the first opponent ever there right and it's they're working out the day before the first game ever in the kingdom and david garcia was one of the coaches and david garcia was one of those guys he never missed on anything he he i mean he remembered players that he played with in the in the 40s and guys that he managed throughout and so they're taking batting practice during the workout and he tells the groundskeeper he goes you know the distance is supposed to be a minimum of 321 feet down the line the guy says oh that's what we have look at the sign he goes your sign's wrong i'll bet it's 315 or less oh wow I was, oh no it can't be We've got the papers from the builder, but you know, the builders and stuff, we, construction people can't be. So they measured it. It was 312 feet down the lines. Remember how short it was? Oh yeah. yeah. So then became a big controversy as, as to whether or not the Mariners were going to play their first game ever the next day, or if they were going to have to wow. do something. And so they finally got, uh, they got a waiver and were allowed to stay in the kingdom, but that was Davey Garcia. He, I mean, he just think he didn't miss things. He just, he was there. He was aware. That is, that is amazing. That's, that's crazy that he could just tell that from the eye too. Yeah, I mean, his, it was a baseball field. That's what he knew. That you know, that was his, his deal. And uh, he would no, he was pretty special in those regards. Things just didn't slip by him. But obviously, the contractor made a lot more money by charging him for three hundred fifteen than or three hundred twenty <laughs> than it would have been three twelve. Yeah, the the I think the best thing to happen to baseball in Seattle. Um, yeah, you can talk about the the um, playoffs and, and getting Griffey home and the double from Edgar, whatever you want to talk about. But I think really what helped baseball in Seattle was the implosion of that stupid building. Yeah, no, it's the park now is really a nice ballpark. Um, yeah, you know, it's 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 a very comfortable ballpark, and and it's it's yeah, no, I, it's it's an enjoy enjoyable place to go. And I guess because I was there in the Kingdom days, that's maybe one of the reasons I like the ballpark so much. <laughs> that's I mean, fantastic. it would be a beautiful—it'd be a beautiful day in Seattle on a Sunday, oh, yeah. right? And Dan O'Brien Sr. decided he was going to play six o'clock games on Sunday night. You're going in, and the sun's not going to set for another nine hours. <laughs> and, and I remember saying to him once, "I go, why are we playing these games?" He goes. Well, people might go out on the lake, and if if we have them late enough on Sunday, they'll come here after the lake. I said, if they've been on the lake drinking, they're not coming to the kingdom. I mean, inside. <laughs> if you want to do that, we should play at seven in the morning before they go. To- <laughs> I mean, unless if they're real savvy drinkers, and then they show up and drink more while at the ball game. 
Well, and then your concession sales go up, right? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so we've got a couple more topics here. Um, and uh, one of those, what, what do you see happening in 2021? Um, we actually did a huge network-wide um, prediction show where we you know, picked division winners, World Series winner, MVP, and everything. We don't even care about that. What do you predict we see before we throw that last pitch in October? Well, let me say this. When they ask you to make predictions, I predicted the right team to win the World get to the postseason once in my life. All the years I've had to do it. And that was in 19, I think it was 80 or 81. And I picked Atlanta to win the National League West. Wow. And I had people call and they wanted to go, how could you have picked Atlanta? I said, well, I did it in alphabetical order. (laughs) (laughs) That was true. That's awesome. I I hated having to to like pick those things because so many things can happen during the course of a year. I cover the Angels in in 1977, the free agency was big and they signed Baylor, Rudy and Gritch. And everybody thought that the Angels were going to come from nowhere and they were going to win a world championship. Yeah, they finished just ahead of the A's, who at that time, Charlie Finley was getting the A's, you know, and right. so anybody was going to finish ahead of them. They finished ahead of the A's, you know, and it's like that taught me real quick that so many things can happen during the course of a season. And just because you go out and bring players in, you have to get people where everybody's comfortable and they fit. Now, in 79, the Angels won the division. You know, and that was a big event because that was the first postseason in the history of a franchise. It started in 1961. I mean, people think it's been a long time for the Rockies. They had they were 1961 to 1979 before they'd ever been to a postseason. Um, But it was Rich Rudy and Baylor that were were key factors, along with Nolan Ryan. You know, and so so it did pay off eventually. But there's, there's no instant instant cure. And so that's why I'm watching San Diego. I know they have a neat team and all that stuff. But. You know, the, the things this game doesn't always treat you the way you think you should be treated. That's the Dodgers. Now, look at look at the start they were off to this year. In the last two weeks, I think they've won maybe three games in two weeks. They're not playing the Rockies, right? It's changed. <laughs> but um, just ask Clayton Kershaw how that feels. Yeah, he'll tell you. <laughs> and that's and that's the thing. It's it's you can you can sit and analyze this game and come up with all the things you want. I don't. I don't know anybody who can consistently figure out who's going to win. And you know, a couple of years ago when Washington won the World Series, the manager was about to be fired in June. They were about 10 games, 11 games under. I mean, it was, it was right. a heck of a comeback, more power to them. But it's, it's just when you play 162 games, so many things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the 60 yeah. game was, was different. But 162 games, you've got – a lot more injuries you can lose critical you can lose a critical guy and you don't have and you're not just patching it up for a week or two you know you're patching it up for a couple months so um i i think the 162 game season um puts it puts a grind and as far as winning a world championship the longer you make the postseason the more difficult it gets for the best team in baseball to win absolutely since they went to the wild card right the wild cards won more world championships than the team with the best record in baseball. Yep. Yeah. You know why? The wild cards usually playing really well at the end because they make that last second push oh, to absolutely. get into the postseason. And, and everybody. Usually, yeah. Go ahead. No, and then and then 
usually now anymore than they they give the best team in baseball like several days off. Right. Well, that's the worst thing that happens to you. That I'm not going to say that the Rockies would have won the year they went to the World Series, but they sat for nine days waiting for the Red Sox to come back from a three to one deficit. Yep. You can't sit for nine days. You know, the only team that's ever done that and won were the A's, but then the team they were playing had sat for nine days too because of the earthquake. Yep. When they played the Giants. So I don't know that the Rockies could have beaten the Red Sox. They the Red Sox were the better team, but I don't think it would have been a sweep. I don't think it would have been as easy because it's it's hard to get everything going again at the end of a season that's that long. And face it, the Rockies had had that unbelievable finish to the season. Yep. They won the game with the Padres. They uh, they swept the two. I think they swept both rounds in the in the playoffs. Three I games to none and four games to none. And then they sat for nine days. Um, I mean, I was never a real athlete, but I would think your adrenaline drains during those nine days. That you're waiting and you're anxious and you want to get going. And the thing of it was, they would have sat for two days if Cleveland had just won game game five and, and knocked off the Red Sox four games to one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, it's, so for predictions, it's really I, – I just – I have a hard time with it just because I'm not smart enough to sit down and figure out who's going to be healthy. I mean, who thought – I mean, Kershaw's hurt now, right? Did he get hurt? I want to say he did, but I don't know how serious it was because yeah. he just well, did not look good. We, we never know how serious it is until they come back. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, I mean, I don't mean that – but I mean, who knows who else can get hurt between now and the end of the season? And you just right. you could you can have all your guesses and you can have all your your hopes. But um, you know, I don't I don't think there's anything that that's in stone. And so you just you know, fortunately, I don't gamble. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of guys in our business gamble. You know, they like to because they feel like they have an insight. And it's just never. It's like I work hard enough for what for. For my money, I'll go waste it on beer or something. I'm not going to waste it. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, and I think the other thing, the reason why the um, wildcard teams have so much success is because everybody is is geared up for the best team, and they're not they're not really thinking that the wildcard team has anything. You know, oh, they sneak snuck in, and if you snuck sneak in, you really shouldn't be here. So we'll just play around for a couple games, and all of a sudden they're down 0-2. Well, and I, and I think that comes back to it too, though that usually the wild card teams had to finish strong. Right. They have to be. They have to be going, you know. And and I think, I think it makes it more difficult on the world champion when you say, okay, you're going to miss. You, you can take the first week to relax. Mm-hmm. You can't work out enough to make up for not playing in a game, and and I just think that that becomes a negative factor that that they have to deal with. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, e. Yeah, yeah. Want to go to college? Sure. Do I want to go to college? <laughs> Not you personally, but covering oh, the college. No. Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll go there now. Fair enough. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go there 50, 60 years ago. But I'll there, go you there. Go. there you I'm go. I'm not going. Books don't <laughs> intrigue me. I, <laughs> I don't like words. <laughs> I'll, I'll read stats all day. Give me the stats. I'll take them in, but. You give me a dictionary, I'm not opening it. <laughs> so, so, college, so college-wise, <laughs> uh, you know, being here, you've been uh, president of the Cowboy Joe Club 
um, over there at the no, university? No, I've been, I've been on the board of directors. On the board, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you've been on the board. You are a huge supporter of Cowboy football. Um, you obviously run the website, Welcome to 7220. You've got a lot of inside stuff. I'm not asking for any special inside knowledge, uh, but man, how are the pokes looking this coming season? Well, you know, I just, I think, I think they have a very good chance this, this year to, to win the conference title because they're, they're so deep. You know, they have all the players that, that opted out because of the coronavirus are back. All the seniors wow. are back. All the graduate players are back except for um, the, the kid from Sheridan who would have been a, a sixth-year player, and he transferred to a school in, in uh, South Carolina because he wants to become a chiropractor, and so he's, he's moved on. And then you had uh, you had a kid that was kicked off the team. He didn't come back. And last year you had the punter that transferred from uh, the Ivy League. That right. was a graduate transfer, and he's not coming back. Other than that, everybody's back, including the players that didn't that opted out last year came back, which says a lot to me about the program that Coach Bowles built. That yes. particularly the guys who are graduates. Well, the run back one running back, Smith, he's going to be in his seventh year of college, and he's coming back. You know, and he's so. I mean, it's and I and I also say that I think that you know I asked someone about that today on a call with with one of the players, and he said, "Well, I just think everybody once you come in here, you become you become bitten by that bug, and you want to be part of this, and we feel like we're such a team that you want to play with your teammates and be part of the, your team as long as you can possibly be here." And yeah, he said. I wish I could come back for six more years, but I don't think the NCAA is going to let that happen. <laughs> but, but you know what? It also says something about Coach Bull and his staff understanding right. the type of player that can come here. I mean, Dave Christensen has been a great assistant coach wherever he's been, and, and right. I liked him. But I don't think he ever fully understood that just because a kid's a four- or five-star player – Wyoming, you have to have a taste for Wyoming to be able to come mm -hmm. here and thoroughly enjoy it. It's it's different than any other school you can go to in the country because of the weather, because of the size of the school, because of the state. But if you get someone that comes in, they can fall in love with it, too, because there's very few places where it might not be the biggest fan base, but it's the most loyal fan base. And it's the yes. most. I mean, when they went to the Arizona Bowl a couple of years ago, not the Arizona. Yeah, it's the Arizona Bowls. I wonder. Yeah. Yeah, in in uh, in Tucson, mm -hmm. they had over twenty thousand Wyoming fans. They had about five hundred from from Georgia, and uh, a friend of mine who uh, sells cotton candy at Coors Field, but he sell he sell sold beer down there, and uh, they asked they asked him about if he'd come down and sell beer because he's he's a big time beer salesman, spring training and stuff. And he said right. under one condition, he said what he goes, I want to be and the stand under the 50 yard line on the Wyoming side. Smart man. Yeah. He said, he sold more, yeah, he sold over a hundred thousand beers. <laughs> oh, That's fantastic. He said he was still selling beer 45 minutes after the game ended. Wow. That's crazy. People were, they were staying there. They were celebrating. The team was out on the field and, and, you know, um, as bowl games have found out, and it's one of the things with, if Wyoming can be competitive, you know, when they have a competitive team, they're going to go to a bowl because they do. They sell tickets. Their people travel. Their people care. Their people get excited. And Absolutely. I think that's that hasn't been lost on the current staff. 
you know, and they've been bowl eligible all but one of the last what, five years or so. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, they got lo- they got left out the one year, but but they've been bowl eligible the other years. And I, I just think they have enough of a veteran team. Um, they've got some new feelings about how they want to approach some things. Honestly, I see no reason why they shouldn't be able to to win the conference title, and that would be a, that would be a giant step forward. And they don't they don't have a non conference game that should beat them up. Right. So they they had one potential one with Clemson, mm-hmm. but Clemson convinced uh, was it which one? Connecticut, right? Is that the one they're uh, going to play? I think it's I Connecticut. Think, yeah, yeah, I think it is. But Wyoming still gets. The million two because Clemson paid the million two for Wyoming to go to play the game, right? In New England, so it's a good financial game for Wyoming, but I think it's more winnable than than a trip to Clemson. <laughs> a lot more winnable than a trip to Clemson. <laughs> but it would be good to see the Giants. You know, that would have been the nice part. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, you definitely. might be able to beat Clemson at least a little bit. You don't have Trevor Lawrence back there and quarter quarterback anymore. Yeah, I, that coach is pretty good, though. Yeah, and, you know when you true. when you're at, when you're at that level and you build the reputation that they have, and the coach is still staying there, it's gonna it's it's not gonna be easy to go into Death Valley and win. No, not at all, not at all. So so more than just the Wyoming football, how are the Cowgirls looking? I mean, they they did really well, unexpectedly well this past year. Um, they've got a yeah, that's, strong nucleus coming back. How are they looking for next year? I, th- I think the Cowgirls will look very good because they do. They they have basically the bulk of their team back for next year. And, and just like I think the basketball team with Coach Linder um, mm-hmm. has a chance to really take a step forward. And, and uh, you know, I think he was a really good hire because um, he's, he went to you know, small schools in, in uh, two small colleges in, in uh, Colorado. He grew up outside of Denver. He understands what Wyoming is and, and what you have to do at Wyoming to have right. success. And anybody that went into Greeley and won three, had three consecutive 21 seasons. You're doing something. Yeah. They'd had four in the history of the school before he got there. Yeah. You know, and he had three. And so I, you know, I, I think, you know, the women's program strong, the wrestling program's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. For its size. I mean, you've got to consider they're in the uh, big 12 in wrestling, right? They're not, right. they're not in the mountain West. They're in the big 12. No. They're playing the big boys. They're going with the big boys. Or not the Big Twelve. They're in the. Uh, no, they're in the Big Twelve. Big Twelve, yeah. Yeah. So they're yeah. they're playing big boys, you know. And so, I think the program is the overall program is in pretty good shape in reality. I mean, you know, there's certain sports that are always going to have that are going to be more difficult than ever at Wyoming to win it, like golf or tennis, right. because of elements, right? Yep. And and they're they're not revenue sports. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot different, I think, for the athlete. But, I mean, I think when you get into the, particularly the women's basketball, men's basketball, football, there's, there's potential beyond college for people. Yes. And in basketball, yeah. I mean, it, it may not be the NBA, but the leagues they have in Europe and the leagues they have in the Orient pay pretty well. I think Jay Strait went, went back to uh, Israel like nine years in a row to play. You know, so I want to say Josh Adams went overseas too. Yeah, after he was he, done playing, and then he wound up. And I don't know. I think the last two years he was on the uh, in that league below the NBA. Yeah, the G League. Yeah, for Toronto with Toronto's yeah. team. You no, know? but yeah, he played. 
He played in several teams over there, which pretty amazing when you consider the car wreck he was in, you know. Yeah. That one it, year after the senior year. Yeah, I mean, and he had a great recovery, uh, miraculous recovery, because yeah. that was that was a horrific accident. Um, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. he broke his, I think he actually broke his neck or something. You know, in the, yeah, it was, I know there was a lot of back issue there um, yeah. because of it. Because so. of it. So, well, Tracy, we're going to call it a night. Um, sorry, Alec, I see you wanted to ask a question. I apologize for not catching it sooner. Um, my, my apologies, but Tracy, as we, uh, sign off here, we always sign off where we, people can find us. Um, so like for me, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, um, as wild music, man, Ethan, where can they find you? Just look me up on Facebook or Instagram as my name should pop there, up. There you go. And Tracy, where I know you're on Twitter, but where else can they find you and what you do? Um, well, obviously, obviously on uh, um, welcome to seventy two twenty dot com on the University of Wyoming and the Mount West Conference, and inside the seams dot com for uh, Rockies oriented baseball, but some other stuff too, Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. like that. So, and you know, it's uh, I have fun with it. It's it's as I told my wife that's my hobby, not my occupation. <laughs> that's that's fantastic well tracy thank you so much for joining us it is greatly appreciated and uh it means a lot i know to myself and and ethan as well uh let's if you don't mind can we do this again say towards the end of the season just before football season we know you know how to get in touch right i sure do okay can we also get nolan ryan on here by chance (laughs) we'll work on it (laughs) (laughs) die dude i seriously that's my last breath. I'm freaking out if I see him pop up. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'm a pitcher, so that's just, that's like my dream right there. <laughs> it's fantastic. All right, Again, guys. Well, good time. Thank you so thank much. You. Have a wonderful evening, and go Pokes. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Leftovers or... The DMV Number 97. or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Does your health routine for the new year include eye care? Well, now that you can use your renewed vision benefits, it's easy to add it to the routine. Visit pearlvision.com and schedule exams for the whole family. They work with all major vision plans, including iMed, and they'll cover your cost of insurance, copay, or eye exam. Valid prescription required. Valid at participating locations. Restrictions apply. Taxes extra. See store for details. Ends 331-2023. Exams available at the Independent Doctor of Optometry at or next to Pearl Vision. Some doctors employed by Pearl Vision.